Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Welcome, Hazeland. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let me also say uh, thank you again to Mike and the staff and, and to our teams who embody for us, this is really important, this is really important, our teams who embody for us not just what life should be like when you're on a mission trip, but what life should be like. Does that, does that make some sense? I think sometimes we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we just did, and we're not necessarily fully appreciative, appreciative of the context. Now, now, the Luke version is a little bit different from the Matthew version. We think the Luke version was probably first. And it sort of over a period of time grew and there were pieces and bits and added and it's beautiful and I love what we do and we're going to hang on to that Matthew version. But this Luke version is a little more direct, it's a little more raw actually, it's, it's a little simpler and it really has a story, a context that we have to hear if we're ever going to get to the place where we can live life as if we are on a mission I think you hear prayers and songs differently if you know the context of the prayers or the songs or the poems. For example, I've, I've researched a few songs that I, um, I think will be familiar to many of us, if not most of us, and researched some of these uh, stories behind these songs, and I think you will hear these songs differently, for better or for worse. Sorry if I'm going to ruin a song or two for you. For example, I really like Jump by Van Halen, really like it. What I didn't know was... It was a song that was encouraging someone to jump off a building. Go ahead and jump. Uh, I won't listen to it the same way. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds by this band. I think it was the Beatles, right? Forever I've heard that this song was about drugs, in particular LSD. It's about a piece of art that hung on their refrigerator forever by Julian Lennon, and it was entitled Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Um, hey Jude, a song by Paul McCartney, was originally Hey Jules, also about Julian Lennon, who was really suffering because mom and dad were getting a divorce. And so he wrote the song Hey Jules to try to offer some sort of support and encouragement for Julian Lennon. Do you hear what I hear? A song that we hear most of the time during the Christmas season was a song written in response to the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was a call for peace. Do you hear what I hear? You got to fight for your right to, exactly, was an, uh, by the Beastie Boys, and we thought it was a song about partying. It was actually a song meant to mock people who write songs about partying. <laughs> it seems to have worked. <laughs> Sweet Caroline, da, 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 by Neil Diamond was actually written about Caroline Kennedy because Neil Diamond saw a picture of Caroline Kennedy riding a little horse and thought it was just so adorable that he wrote this little song called Sweet Caroline. And now the Red Sox have adopted it. Or the Star Spangled Banner. Francis Scott Key knew, knew that the British were going to attack uh, Fort McHenry. What? Fort Sumter. Knew it, but he was being held against his will and was not able to alert the American forces that this attack was coming. And so he watched it in his horror. He watched it unfold, only to see the American flag still standing the next day, and that's when he wrote it. Or my favorite, Amazing Grace. 
was actually written by a guy who was a former slave trader. So a man by the name of Newton was actually involved in piloting the ships who would take, who would steal people from Africa and then bring them to the British Isles. But on one of those trips, there was such a huge storm that it got his attention. And somehow after this huge storm that he survived, obviously, he gave his mind and heart to Christ. And Christ, once a mind and heart is surrendered, Christ does something with it, and so now this former slave trader became a major voice in the abolitionist movement and worked with a guy named William Wilberforce to absolutely abolish slavery in Great Britain. Amazing Grace is his story. It's his testimony. And I think when you know something of the story, you hear the song differently. When you know something of the story, you hear the song differently. I think if you'll know the story, you'll hear the prayer Differently, We are in the process of, of working through the book of Luke over the summer in a sermon series entitled Follow the Leader. And uh, we are slowly but surely getting the impression that life is supposed to be meant, that life is meant to be lived as if always on a mission. Now, we don't always do it like that. I mean, there are times when we reduce the Christian life to uh, moral policing. Sometimes we're policing ourselves. Many times we're policing someone else. And many of us, many of us have seasons of life in which Christianity is little more than that. I want to know who's right and who's wrong. I want to know who's in and who's out so that I can police the lines. Keep in mind, we said this last week, last week, the people on the other side of your lines, they're not the evil ones. Your lines are evil. So if faith for you has at any time been simply about policing the lines so that you can know who's in and who's out, who's, who's uh, wrong and who's right, then that has not actually been Christianity. It's been something, but it's not been Christianity. Christianity is meant to be life spent on mission. Which mission? Christ's mission. That's Christianity. That doesn't mean that you don't go to work and do your thing. It doesn't mean that you're not a public school teacher. It doesn't mean that you don't sell homes. It doesn't mean that you don't go to work in the attorney's office or in the city attorney's office. It doesn't mean that you don't go to your business place. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is you see all of those things as opportunities to live your life to the glory of God. But what we do all too often as we compartmentalize our lives and draw those lines again, that the lines are always evil. We draw those lines again, and when we draw the lines, we don't allow ourselves to see our places of work, our homes, our every opportunity, our transactions as opportunities for the kingdom to bubble to the surface, opportunities for you to be a person on mission all the time. Uh, this is the group that's in Toronto currently. It is a uh, concoction of people. This is not everybody because we left, how many did you say, six or so we left in, in Toronto, Zach and, and five others we left in Toronto. And then these are our college students mixed in with a few folks from Eben First Church. And I was able to go and pray with them before they leave because that's what you do. You pray with folks before they go on a mission trip. You just do. I mean, I think it's in the Bible somewhere. You pray with folks before they go on a mission trip. The thing is, all of life is a mission trip. Jesus has just said in the chapter before, as he is sending everybody out, two at a time, Jesus has just said, okay, 
this is going to be an adventure because here's what you're trying to do. You're trying to announce that the kingdom has come. Remember that? In fact, Jesus has been so clear about it that he has used all of Israel's ancient scriptures. If you think back with me all the way to Luke chapter 4, Jesus has handed these, these very important scriptures from the book of Isaiah about this year of jubilee, this, this year of God's favor when the blind will be healed, those in, in bondage will be liberated, good news will be preached to the poor, and he rolls up the scroll and he hands it back to the attendant and he says, okay, that day that, they, that day that we've been pointing toward and singing about and praying for for so many days, that day is this day, said Jesus, and they so hated that he said that they tried to kill him by throwing him off a cliff. But he was right, or at least we believe he was right, and all God's people said, oh... We are to be a people on that mission, that mission, and everything else that we do and everything else that we are and all the conversations that we have and all the decisions that we make, it all factors into that overall mission that we're on. So Jesus is sending these people out, sending them out on mission, day in, day out. And listen to this. This is going to be not just an adventure, but a fairly dangerous frightening kind of adventure because they were to live at the mercy of the hospitality of others, door to door, city to city, region by region, mission evangelism, let's say. And they were to live at the mercy of the hospitality of others, or so they thought really what was happening is they were leaning into their capacity to trust God for their needs. They weren't so much leaning on the people whose doors they were knocking on because they could always go to the next door. Actually, what they were doing is they were banking on the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God. That's where I fall short. What about you? What about you? Now, I'm your pastor, and I'm glad to be your pastor, but I hope it's okay. I'm still growing in this whole faith thing. Is that okay? Because it's not still happening anyway. I'm learning week by week, month by month, that this God is trustworthy. I'm learning week by week, month by month, year by year, that even what I do is I pastor a church which is not always a Christian endeavor. <laughs> Can be when placed in the hands of God, much like you're going to work and selling something. You're going to work in teaching someone. You're going to work in healing someone. You're going to work in adjudicating. All of that, just like my work, can be placed into the hands of God and can be a part of the mission. When life is lived as a mission, this prayer makes more sense. <laughs> Against the backdrop of Jesus sending these people out on mission, having to lean into the hospitality of others and the faithfulness of God, against that backdrop, this prayer makes more sense. So Jesus goes off to pray. And good disciples being what they are, they want something that this other Jesus has. They want something that their rabbi has. And so they say to him, Lord, we notice you pray a lot. Jesus, always being in mission, recognizes that the mission is moved along and pushed along by cultivating this presence of God. And so he prays to cultivate this presence praise and praise and praise. The disciples, at least one of them said, you've got to teach us this. John taught his disciples how to pray. John was weird. 
Remember this, John? This was the guy who wore camel skins and ate bugs and all that kind of stuff and preached. It kind of railed against the system out there, but he also started to say, hey, man, everything has changed with this Jesus character. The kingdom has come near. It's time to turn your life and get in line and help out and be a part of the solution. And John was teaching his disciples to pray so that they better fit the mission This good, smart disciple was saying, Jesus, you've got to teach us how to pray. Jesus, knowing that the backdrop is always mission, said, okay, here's the prayer that you pray each morning before you go out there. He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. It it really could have been translated like this, Father, hallow your name, bring your kingdom. Father, hallow your name, bring your kingdom. We don't know what we're going to face today, God. But no matter what we face today, God, whatever it is that we face, may your name be hallowed and may your kingdom be furthered in and through us today. Make some sense? Hallow your name. Bring your kingdom. Give us each day our daily bread. Oh, I can't say this often enough. When they were trying to understand what it meant to follow Jesus, when they tried to understand what it meant to be a part of this movement, they had to look no further than their own story, the ancient Jews. They looked all the way back to the Exodus. And there, in the story of the Exodus, they could see that God fought for his people to try to bring them to a new place where they could be freely now the people of God. The Exodus where God fights for his people. It's a great gospel story in the Old Testament. And you'll remember this, right? God brings them out of Egyptian slavery, gets them on the other side of the Red Sea. They are truly free and a people belonging to God, perhaps for the first time on the other side of the Red Sea. And God took care of them by giving them manna every day. Now, not two days worth, one day's worth. Not, not three days worth. I like to have at least three days worth of food in the fridge. Anybody else? One day's worth. Why? Why? Because God was trying to say to them, I can handle this. I, I will care for you. I am not so large and removed that I'm not concerned about what you're eating. And so there will be water. And there will be manna. There'll be quail. Your shoes won't wear out. While they were trusting God for day-to-day sustenance, they were more likely to be used by God as the people of God. Ooh, I'm gonna say that again. This is, now, this is not a message against 401Ks. This is not a message against savings accounts. This is not a message against wise business decisions. This is a message against making an idol out of your savings account, 401ks, or business acumen. When they lived day to day from the hand of God, they were more likely to be used by God as the people of God. Is, Is this making some sense to you? So in order to rehearse that posture now in the New Testament, Jesus is drawing their minds all the way back to that story of the Exodus saying, yeah, pray what they should have prayed because I forgot at some point, remember that? In their freedom, I promise you this happens, in their freedom, just a few chapters after being liberated from Egyptian bondage, these people were saying, how do we get back to those places because we had a chicken in every pot back then? They wanted bondage. (laughs) 
They wanted to go back to slavery for fear that God wouldn't keep up his end of the bargain. And so Jesus says, no, pray this. Just a day's worth. Show me, God. Show me, God, that you are still around and caring for the detail of life. Pray this. Now, I say this to you a lot. We pray the Lord's Prayer every week. Every week we pray the Lord's Prayer in the hopes that someday some of us will believe it. Right? I am not, this is not a litmus test. You can actually pray the Lord's Prayer and not be all the way there yet, but we pray it in the hopes of getting closer to wherever all the way there is. That's okay. It's a journey. And God receives you at every place, at every step along that journey. You pray this in the hopes of not being addicted to a false idol. And forgive us our sins because this is the message that we are unleashing out there forever. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. Forgiveness is our mantra and our message. We get to walk around because we're always on mission. And so we're saying to the people who work for us or the people for whom we work, we're saying to them, hey, do you realize that forgiveness and reconciliation is always available to you? Can you imagine saying that to your coworkers? You should be. Yes, please say that to your coworkers. I try to say it to mine. <laughs> Do you realize that forgiveness and reconciliation, right relationship with God is always available to you, not because somehow you work hard enough to earn it, but because God is doing this and offering it to you. Just say yes and take it. And do not bring us to the time of trial. I don't know that what's being said here is, uh, please don't tempt me with chocolate because I'm really trying to avoid chocolate as best I can. What's being said here is this. God, you know that I'm fragile. You know that I'm fragile. Go with me so that I don't finally succumb to something bigger than me. Big things are coming, I know, but go with me so that nothing will be bigger than us. And then he pivots. Now, the teaching about the prayer, about the strategy, let's say, is over. But there's, there's something that causes Jesus, in my mind, here's what happens. Jesus unleashes all of this. This is really good teaching on prayer, and, and we've done some of that here today, and it's a good thing to pray all of the, all of the above. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, one day at a time, Lord, and, and stay with me. And, and this message of, I mean, all of that is good for people on mission. And yet, Jesus notices something about his disciples and perhaps me and perhaps you that still hesitates. And so in my head, Jesus takes a few steps away. Maybe he lets the area or the room fall silent. And to a frightened people about to be pushed out the door again and into mission, he said, there's more. Having told you about the prayer itself, let me tell you something about the one to whom you are praying. Church, let me tell you a little something about the one to whom you pray. Because maybe more than all the other things I would say to you about prayer that would fit into the category of strategic teaching, maybe if I will tell you more about the one to whom you are speaking, maybe that in and of itself will do more for your prayer life, my prayer life. He starts with a little parable. Okay, he says, 
Now suppose one of you has a friend. And you go to this friend at midnight, he just lives two doors down. You go to this friend at midnight and you say, I've got to have three loaves of bread. Now it's the middle of the night. I mean, it's, it's so late that the, your neighbor a couple doors down has already gone to bed. Typically, it's a one-room kind of a dwelling, and, and all of the, the people are laying there together, sleeping together. You've got the parents and the kids, and those kids are really hard to get to sleep. I don't know about you, but kids are hard to get to sleep sometimes, right? And it seems like if I move even a little bit, all the kids wake up. So this guy is coming, he's banging on my door, and he wants bread, but if I get up, banging on my door is bad enough. If I get up, all the kids are going to wake up. The guy keeps banging, keeps banging, keeps banging. Now, hospitality is a big thing. To not help the traveler who has stumbled through your door, even at midnight, to not help that traveler bring shame on your household and the entire city because you don't want your city to be known as inhospitable. So hospitality is an important thing. And if you don't have bread, it's such an important thing. You go a couple doors down and you bang on that guy's, on that guy's door knowing that he's got bread because it's now a group effort. It's a citywide effort to show hospitality to this stranger who stumbled through the door at midnight. Problem is the person on whose door you are banging is just put the kids down and finally got them to sleep. Bang, 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 shh. Bang, bang, I got to have some bread. I got a stranger. I'm not getting up. These kids are going to wake up. I'm not going to do it. Bang, 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 keeps banging. Finally, the guy is going to say, okay, here's your bread. Go. Listen to this. Here's what's being said about prayer in that moment. That neighbor who's now very frustrated with you, by the way, because the kids are awake and he's down three loaves of bread, right? That neighbor who finally filled your order, that neighbor who was so frustrated with you, hear this, that neighbor did fill your order, how much more the God of the universe who loves you dearly and desperately, if that guy who's upset with you will fill your order, how much more will the God who aches with your every move and breath and decision, how much more will that God receive the prayers of his people? It gets better than that. So I say to you, Jesus saying now, looking at the disciples, these frightened eyes, knowing what all they're going to face, but Jesus, knowing the heart of God who hears and receives these prayers, listen to this, he says to his disciples, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find, knock, And the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and for everyone who knocks the door will be open. And some of you are saying, sweet, I need an SUV. (laughs) Jesus doesn't resolve that just yet. Instead, he's still going to talk to you about the character of the one to whom you pray, to whom you offer your requests. He said, look. You're not perfect parents, but you're pretty good parents. When your kid asks you for something to eat, Dad, can I have a fish to eat? You're not going to give that, that kid a snake. If you're any kind of human being at all, you're not going to give that kid a snake. Or 
if he asks for bread, you're not going to give that kid a stone. And here's why. Because you're just good enough to love your kids. So you will not do that. And if you are that way, broken people that you are, imagine how much more the Heavenly Father hears and receives and is affected by the prayers that you pray when you are saying door to door, door to door. Man, we are supposed to be banking on this hospitality because we're people on mission. But I've heard no, no, no. People don't want us to come in. They don't want us to be a part of their lives. God is saying, keep praying, keep asking, I will care for you. How much more will the Heavenly Father give SUVs to the people who ask him? Okay, now he resolves that, right? Because some of you are in debt. Some of you are in awful circumstances and you need something now. And perhaps some of you have gone to bed hungry before. Maybe you remember that. Or maybe you know someone who's gone to bed hungry. They've, they've prayed, Lord, I would like something. And maybe you've gone to bed disappointed. Hear me say two things about that. I'm sorry about that. Okay, three things. First of all, I'm sorry about that. Two, me too. I've gone to bed without actually having received that for which I had prayed for. Anybody else? Three. God is not absent. What God is saying here is this. Life is meant to be lived on mission. In order for the mission to do what the mission is supposed to do, it will take more than you are bringing to the table. In order for us to be the voices of peace and reconciliation, and folks, um, this time next week, we'll have seen both of the conventions, right? Can I say this to us again? There has never been a greater time for Christians to be the voices of reason and reconciliation than right now. Hey, be involved and vote for your person, but please do so as a Christian and not as a Republican or a Democrat. Man, the world needs to see, especially when both sides are going to, Christianity will be a football for both sides, I promise you. They're both going to try to out-God the other. You don't belong to either party. doesn't mean you won't vote. You belong to God. That is not going to be an easy posture to keep. It's not going to be an easy posture to keep. In fact, making that kind of kingdom dent from now until November and then beyond is going to require more than you or I bring to the table. It's going to require... The constant presence of God mediated by the Spirit. So what's being said to you is this. What's being said to you is this. As I place you in places, 
and in circumstances, situations where I really need for the kingdom to bubble to the surface, where I really need for the mission to move forward. God, knowing what you need, will care for you and equip you with everything you need to be faithful. The companionship of the Spirit is yours. God aches for you to have more and more of it. God will not force it down your throat, but God aches to hand you ladle after ladle after ladle of God's presence, the Spirit, so that you will understand yourself as being in step with and in companionship with this God who moves into real life with you so that you can together make this kingdom dent. I think it's possible then in our talking about prayer, and I, and I deeply appreciate the folks who help us to talk about prayer around here, and we're going to do it more, more and more and more. But I think we should never lose sight of this. In all of our talking about the technique of prayer, perhaps we should spend two words for every word about technique. We should spend two words saying, the one to whom you are praying aches for you. Amen. The one to whom you are praying lives for you, surrounds you, wants you respects and honors you. The one to whom you are praying is inclined toward yes where you are concerned and wants to incorporate you into this kingdom mission and movement. And God says, what do you need in order to do that and be that and say that and choose that? What do you need? You got it. So let me ask you. What do you need? I'm not talking about the SUV now. Just leave that, let's leave that over here. What do you need in order to be the tangible, touchable expression of the resurrection? What do you need? What do you need to be able to go back to work and allow God to use work and make a sanctuary out of your office or your car? <laughs> What do you need? What do you need as you go home and you're in all the different rooms in your house? What, what do you need in order for that home to become a sanctuary where people are shaped for the mission, shaped by the mission, shaped as missionaries, shaped toward Christ's likeness? What do you need? What do you need? God says, what do you need? And then God says, I can get that for you. What do you need? Seems that God is willing to give you everything, even Jesus. In order that you would be sufficiently resourced to be the people of God, even when you're in buildings that don't have steeples on top. If you're helping us today, would you go ahead and come on down? If you are new to our church, this may be an unfamiliar practice for you. This is the Lord's Table, Communion, the Eucharist. There it goes by several different names. But every week, we find ourselves reminded that God has built the bridge to us in Christ. That the cross is not so much 
a symbol of how angry God gets with us, but a cross is a symbol of the extent to which love will go to make love's point. We're reminded of this every week and we're resourced by it every week. So in a moment, here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask that you would stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left and come forward toward a person holding a plate of bread. As you get closer to that person holding that plate of bread, you'll notice that he or she will break off a piece and hand it to you and say to you, this is God giving God's self to you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet though, but take it and dip it into the cup. The person standing right next to him or her will be holding a cup. Dip it in right then and there. When you do, that person will say, here it is again, God giving God's self to you, resourcing you, surrounding you. Then take and eat. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Then you can circle back around to your seat. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Bless these elements. And use them, God, to remind us that we are, in fact, resourced for the mission. Resourced. Helped along, moved along, pushed along. May we be your people, taken, blessed, broken, and given. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body now broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he took the cup and he held it before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me. All are welcome at this table. You don't have to be at a certain place of being fixed, let's say a certain maturity level to come. All you need to be eligible for this table, all you need is this. You just need to be aware of your need for grace. And if you are aware of your need for grace, you are most welcome. If you can't come to us, then stay in your seat. Jason and Katie will be making their way to you. There is an addition to the Lord's table, this bowl of water that represents the moment of your baptism. And if you need to be reminded that you have been adopted into this kingdom movement, then this is a good place to do it. Touch this water and may those memories come flooding back that remind you that you are claimed and helped along and resourced. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, come forward with your hands cupped, to receive the gifts of God for the people of God. Oh.
Christ and cross through us till the wandering thank you for making peace through us love our enemies you have So, Father, we, we try again today to place ourselves into your hands. We recognize as we move through the elements of today's service, the broken body and the shed blood, that you have, in fact, built the bridge all the way to where we live. And so your love motivates us and moves us, and we respond not in fear to you, we respond in appreciation and gratitude and in grace. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this church, for these people. God, continue to shape us according to the likeness of your son. We have prayed all of this in your son's name.